Before we start this episode of Dr Whodcast, we'd like to draw your attention to BLAM UK, a charity which promotes a truthful discourse of blackness through analysis of history by providing more diverse education for young people. Right now, you can donate to help BLAM organise free lessons on black history for children. And if you are a white fan of Doctor Who and want to continue to learn, educate and be more actively anti-racist, I'd like to recommend the podcast Woke Doctor Who, who have done several episodes on how race in both the fandom and the show has been portrayed. I'd especially recommend the episode Martha My Dear, which goes a long way to explain the toxic institutionalised racism that we as Doctor Who fans need to reject in ourselves and in our community to create a better world. And we're back. Um, it's been a while since we've uh, recorded Dr. Hoodcast, and since then, quite a lot has happened. Would you agree, Will? Yes, quite a lot has happened. Well, we started this podcast as a way of keeping in touch over first lockdown. Um, we we came through first lockdown. We then even saw each other face to face for a couple of a, a couple few of, episodes, uh, recording sessions, and. And doesn't it seem kind of ironic that the last episode of this podcast is recording as soon as we get into second lockdown? Uh, absolutely. As of recording, oh, Will and Tom are quarantining in London. I've gone back to see my family in Manchester. So none of us are together and we're all recording from our laptops with um, potentially dodgy Wi-Fi, but that might just be me. Yeah, well, Exactly. We're back to the back to the old days of of inter, of of internet lag and um, smiling at each other over Zoom. Absolutely, and I wouldn't have it any other way except for literally any other way. Well, Biden won. That's exciting. Well, that's what I wanted to get onto. Um, we're recording this on the on Sunday, the eighth of November. Yesterday, it was announced that uh, Joe Biden was elected to be the forty sixth president of the United States, and he was elected legally, legitimately, and apparently overwhelmingly. And it's really interesting to be recording a regeneration episode at a time when it feels like everything is going through so much change. Not just that we've gone back to lockdown, but the fact that Donald Trump is going to have to leave the White House. and there's a feeling of in much the same way that Doctor Who was able to heal by turning into the 10th Doctor, that this change that's about to happen in America could heal a lot of the damage that it's been through for the last four years, and indeed for many years before that. I I just wondered if everything that's happened this week has changed the way that you look at this episode at all. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I think that coming into uh, I've I've viewed this episode now um, three times before um, recording, and the first viewing was in it was in quite a low place. The second viewing was on the eve of lockdown itself, and this third viewing it did feel more hopeful. I did get I did feel myself get in touch with more of my emotions when watching the episode, and I think especially during that re- regeneration scene. I don't know if I'd I'd um, clocked that it may be due to due to um, being so happy with what's happened in, in the U.S. election or a sense of renewal or a sense of um, excitement and new beginnings. 
um, had linked to this episode. But I think that might be it. I think that might be why I had such a a different viewing experience the third time watching it as as the, as the first two. Uh, before we go on to Tom's reaction, it might be worth just reintroducing our wonderful guest. Um, he was with us on Bad Wolf. Uh, Tom Thornhill is joining us. Uh, Tom, what did you think um, about A, this episode, and B, if the American elections had any effect on how you've interpreted it? Uh, thanks. Well, hey, guys, first of all, it's great to be back. It's so nice to be recording again with you. I don't think we thought it would be quite such a big gap, but obviously, as you say, pretty tumultuous time in the world right now, but it's so nice to be back recording with you. Um, I, I've got to say, I, 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 I found it really interesting what you said, Charlie, about sort of having this experience of watching the episode again. I watched it for the first time in a while, sort of two, three weeks ago, just before we recorded the first episode, and then I watched it again today. And it definitely is a, diff a different experience watching that sort of pre this moment of sort of a watershed moment of relief and joy that I think a lot of us who consider themselves progressive has had over the last few days. You know, I was up last night, you know, at half 1am watching Biden's speech. And certainly, so then, so then coming Me back three. and watching the, uh, there you go, <laughs> coming back and watching the episode again, um, it, uh, it, it certainly, I wouldn't say it changed the way I viewed the episode. And uh, it's not necessarily that anything huge jumped out at me, but certainly Doctor Who has always been a show, I think, which sort of makes you feel at the end, hopeful about the world and positive about the world. And I think uh, watching that post the huge, huge joy of the Biden result, it definitely that that feeling of joy and hopefulness was definitely stronger. You know, I was able to feel that more and perhaps believe it a little bit more with that huge moment of relief we've all felt. I love, absolutely love your idea of sort of, you know, the doctor was able to heal by going from ninth to 10th and potentially this will be America's moment of healing. I absolutely love that. And uh, yeah, I, I hope you're right. For, for the record, I'm not, I wasn't saying that Trump is the Christopher Eccleston to Joe Biden's David Tennant. I think that, no, but I think I was thinking more in terms of a change for that country mm -hmm. rather than a change in personnel. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's America's, you know, it's not, it's not Trump's healing. I don't think anyone's thinking that, that, uh, uh, you know, Trump's going to suddenly become shiny and new and get new teeth and lovely floppy hair. You know, I think it's, it's America's moment of healing, isn't it? It's, it's America's moment of healing. Um, and uh, it is, it's a hopeful moment. It's a hopeful moment for sure. If Donald Trump got a midlife crisis, well, a post-election crisis mullet, I would die. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> it would... Um, I, I mean, it would, it would suit potentially suit some of his fans. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, um, what I would, I going back onto what you were saying, Charlie. Um, that I was watching the Doctor Who Confidential, um, for this episode, and there was a line that Rusty Davis said of, um, the Doctor Who is often a very hopeless show, and the hope is the Doctor and Rose, and you have a particular, a particular in this episode itself, parting of the ways. You have a real moment where you see the lack of hope in Floor Zero, mm, which mm. is a room where the Doctor cannot get to in time. And so Rusty Davis says in that episode, you should almost predict that they're going to die because the Doctor is not there. The hope is not there. Um, and they've forgotten about. And I think that kind that it's it does feel like the sort of difference between the US 
US for the last four years, which has been f feeling like room zero, a bit without hope, massive, massive partisan divides, um, a, a, a creation of um, fake media and fake news that that we can't we can now not no longer judge facts as facts, but facts as emotion. Um, and now the doctor is in the room. I'm not saying the doctor is Joe Biden, but we're, we're, we're kind of alluding to it. We've done that. We've done that twice. I'm like, no, 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 no. Doctor's not Joe Biden. Doctor's not Joe Biden. He's not. He's Kamala Harris. Um. <laughs> um, well, she's certainly not. I feel like he's the companion and Kamala's the doctor. <laughs> definitely. He's the definitely. Billy Piper to her Christopher Eccleston. But... No, he's he's the he's the Wilfred Mott to hit to, to Kamala's David. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love yes. that. Uh, another yes, thing I would say definitely. before we kind of go on to talk about the episode as a whole, and we'll come back to talking about the regeneration as well. But what I think in this moment viewing this episode, really the biggest change for me was that it might be because I absolutely love Christopher Eccleston. It might be because of what we know about how he was treated on the set and that he was unhappy. But I'd always viewed the transition from Eccleston to Tennant as a as quite a sad one and a loss. And I think it's I still feel that way somewhat. But for some reason, I find myself thinking less about the regeneration as a loss and more as a rejuvenation, more as a hope being created rather than a life being lost. Um, so I'm sure we'll get to talking about that in greater detail as we go on, but I just thought I'd share that. I thought I'd share that with you. I think that's a nice, yeah, share with the group. It's a, it's a safe space <laughs> for all sharing. All right. Um, do you imagine we've rolled credits at this point? Well, as you say, that line is the moment we're now going to roll the credits. <laughs> Fantastic. That's good. I like it. I like it. Welcome to the Doctor Heard Cash. That was good. That's gonna be fun to do in the delay. Uh, <laughs> with me, Charlie Harris. Me, Will Paxton. And me, Tom Thorne. And this is a big. This is a very big moment for us all. It is the season finale of season one of the Doctor Who cast. Dun, dun, but dun. speaking about the season finale, we did it. of Doctor Who. We've done it. It's only taken Woo. us. It's only taken us most of 2020. Um. But it's been a fabulous first season. We've had on wonderful, wonderful guests. I'm very ha happy to be welcoming Tom, Tom back again for this episode. Um, but we've previously had on uh, Alex Wilcox, Faye Lawler, Siobhan Brown. And it's been a really lovely time. I, I hope you agree, Charlie. I hope you agree, Charlie. <laughs> you better agree, Charlie. I've hated every fucking there moment of it. There we go. I'm, I'm, gl I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, this is the... Uh, the the final episode of this of the first season of Doctor Who, the parting of the ways, uh, or parting of the ways. I, don't, I think the it's a bit confusing. It's like the end of the world is an episode, but parting of the ways, the parting of the ways is not. 
but that's just me. Um, Do you know what I mean? Like long yeah, no, game, no, I know what you mean. I, game. I, it's called the long game. Is is it the last? It's last of the time lords, not the last of the time lords, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's last of the time lord. Oh, that's a good one. That's a very that's an interesting question. I think it's the last of the time lords, and well, we'll find out in a couple world. of years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> uh, so, guys, this is a big episode. Not just the podcast, but this is a big Doctor Who episode. It's a huge Doctor Who episode. Um, this is the first ever season finale of the new series of Doctor Who. Um, in terms of formats, com- compared to Classic Who, which is the only, at this point of transmission, was the only... Um, the 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 only thing we we previously got of Doctor Who we don't have any other um, apart from Big Finish we don't have any other um, seasons of this show on um, and it's a and it's on in a canonical format um, it's unlike so many other classic series of Doctor Who where the series finale is just another episode of uh, Doctor Who sometimes with a companion leaving or a Doctor changing but this is an actual built up plot resolution. Um, finale episodes to a doc- to Doctor Who, which had, which had never been done before, and which I think makes it, A, for me, anyway, pe- people can have other opinions, for me, this is my favourite finale of Doctor Who, I think. I think I've watched many. I think there's a couple others that get up there for me. Um, Journey's End g- gets up there for me. I, um, Stolen Earth Journey's End um, finale. Um... I was a fan of um, season three's finale, but having rewatched it very, very recently, I have lots more problems to, to pick than I did when I was younger. Um, I think I got swept away, as always happens. I think when I was younger, I got swept away by the dystopian premise, which I fell in love with. And then now I'm like, well, that doesn't really work, does it, Russell? Yeah, and um, it, did, it, it did sometimes feel, didn't it, as we got into Russell T. Davis's what, five series endings he got to write, or four? It did sometimes feel like he was reinvented, trying to reinvent the wheel instead of instead of uh, you know just going going for something different. He was just trying to go bigger, bigger, bigger and better, and try and in a way there's an element isn't there which I think Moffat certainly took on much more of, where you could feel him just start to get a tiny bit carried away with his own cleverness in terms of look how good this arc is. You never saw this coming. You never saw that coming. That is uh, a very charitable way of putting. Stephen Moffat's season finale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'd say to, to your to your point, you said he, he got the chance to do four. To me, I think he did five. I think that I I count the end of time as in terms of structure, it feels like a season finale to a two part series or a series of specials. Yeah. Um, another thing I'd like to point out, which we, I, I feel like we're not going to do the Easter eggs this time. This is the only season finale of the revived series to include a regeneration. Every other regeneration has happened in a special and not a finale. Ah, you know, I'd never thought of that, but you're right, of course, of course. I, I had a, I did a moment earlier where I ranked the regenerations and I believe my, in terms of the regeneration scenes, not the regeneration episodes, my favourite regeneration episode is End of Time Part 2, just because of the feels. Um, even though it's even though it really sometimes gets a bit too long and drawn out, but every time Wilfred and the Doctor have a, s- it's a long one. But every time the Doctor and Wilfred have a scene one to one, and finding out later on that those scenes are heavily um, imp- 
improv um, with Wilfred using scenes from his own life about being a world uh, a veteran in World War II. Um, makes it very special. So that's my favourite Regeneration episode. And then and obviously like, going back to see the characters for Doctor's Reward. Favourite Regeneration mo- scene? I really like Smith's and Capaldi's. But I think this is probably my favourite. It's just... Uh, and you, you're, what you were saying about the the, the change from special... Well, this this being just in, in a 45-minute episode. As opposed to every other one, which is either... End of time was two hours if you part, take part one and part two. Uh, the day of the uh, the night of the Doctor or whatever that one was called. The time of the Doctor. There we go. Um, was an hour and a half. Um, Capaldi's last one was an hour and fifteen, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And they had about thirty minutes of cut footage, so it could have been an hour and forty-five minutes. This, that last scene with Christopher Eccleston, it does exactly what's needed to be done in two minutes. Yeah, Maybe a minute it, and a half. I think think it's about a three minute scene, isn't it? I was looking at it earlier, looking at that, and I think, yeah, I think they give it two and a half, three minutes for the entire scene, and it's a testament to how well they do it. It just feels the exact right. It's a, it's a, it's a testament in good, efficient storytelling, telling, telling it, telling, giving all the emotions without spelling it out directly, without there's no score for most of it. Like most of it's done in silence. Um, and without the big budgetary effects of like the end of time where the whole TARDIS explodes um, or bringing back a previous companion like they did in End of Time and Night of the Doctor and um, Twice Upon a Time. Um, they just, they, it's, there's a lot of, there's no ceremony. Well, I couldn't do that in this one. I mean, unless they, unless they get there, there wasn't any, there wasn't anything to call back to except for the classic series, which they, I guess they didn't want to do. But anyway, we can talk about that in a couple of years' time. Maybe we should <laughs> go back talking about this episode. Uh, Will, why don't you tell us what happens in this episode? Okay, let's see if I can... Let's see, Series finale, people. Let's see if I can get it under 30 seconds. I believe in myself. I'm not I'm not going to focus on too many details other than that. Charlie, you can't be Gandalf right now and blow smoke, smoke rings with your vape while I do my thing. I have been stress vaping all week. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> I've, just, I've just been smoking normal cigarettes. So there we go. You're doing better than I am. Um, right. Okay, ready? I'm going to count myself down. Okay. Three, two, one. Go, Will. Um, doc, doc, Doctor and Jack go to save Rose from the Dalek ship. They get him back, realize the Dalek Emperor is the reason that all of these Daleks are, are have been created. They've been created through... Um, all of the humans that have been on the game station and before that with the um, with the Satellite 5. All of these humans being filleted and destroyed um, to make the new Daleks. Go back to the sh- go back to Satellite 5 and the Daleks are going to attack them. Um, the Doctor's like, oh, I can make a Delta Wave, but it's going to kill half of Earth, half of um, the Satellite 5. It's very similar to the Time War, most Time War. Rose gets transported back to Earth um, and then comes back because of the TARDIS. She saves the Doctor and... Everyone dies apart from Jack, who then gets re- resurrected. But he does die originally, and then the Doctor regenerates. Boom. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very nice. That was, I think that might have been 30. I don't know. Maybe maybe 42. Oh, you, were, oh, you, weren't, you weren't timing. <laughs> well, I didn't see any point. If there's a delay, what difference is it going to make? I assumed you were timing yourself, my friend. Oh, well, no. You assume wrong. <laughs> Uh, maybe I've blown the magic, the magic of podcasting. They'll never know. The audience will never know. Exactly, exactly that. 
Um, I thought it was a pretty good job. I will say that having said that everyone everyone dies apart from Jack is not accurate. Um, but hey, I did try and correct myself, which is quite difficult to do in 30 seconds. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna... I thought everyone does die apart from Jack. Everyone does die apart from Jack, but Jack also dies. Right, everyone stays dead apart from Jack. Yes, that's, that's the better distinction. Um, where do you want to start with this one, people? Um, can I, can I... I don't know, why don't we just, why don't we start at the beginning? Or, or wherever you want to start. A very good place to start. Um, I, the rescue scene of Jack and the Doctor rescuing Rose is done incredibly quickly, potentially too quickly, but I also do like how the Doctor save the Doctor saves Rose. It's it's just done. It's just immediately done. Rose is back on the TARDIS. Um, there's n- there's no long. It it would be boring for a narrative point of view if Rose was stuck on the Dalek ship for ages. Because actually, as we've as we've learned from as as I've learned from this episode, Daleks are much more scary when they don't talk than when they do. In my opinion. I mean, I'd also like to point out that you're implying that it's not boring to have her <laughs> in Peckham for the whole episode. Eating some chips. Yeah. No, but that's character, darling. I know, I know. I'm characters, just saying, like... Character's never boring. You're implying that she's at the centre of the action for the whole episode. Well, that's tr- that's also not true. But I also... Um, I, I'm, I'm bringing it up very early, but um, I... That's... Um, chip scene I previously used for a drag performance before, as well as the bad bad wolf thing at the end. So those two those two scenes are some of my favourite pieces of Doctor Who writing in the whole thing, and potentially some of my favourite pieces of Billy Piper acting in the whole thing. It's nuanced nuanced as fucking hell, and I've, I've amazing 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 stuff. Anyway, going back to the beginning, um, what do you think of the rescue? What do you what what do you do you like the action at the start of the episode? I. I do. And I've thought about whether it's too quick. And I think that maybe it's contrived, but I also think it's necessary. Because then otherwise the whole episode would be about rescuing Rose from the Daleks rather than the bigger questions at play in the episode. And I don't think we'd get as much time with them if it was a rescue mission um, to save Rose. I also like that it does foreground the fact that those these Daleks are a bit shit. They're terrifying and they're devastating. But like the Doctor can just turn up and he's protected by a force field. It's you know then they can cut through humans like butter, but he's still the Doctor. They're still scared of him for a reason and all the stuff he's doing with the Delta Wave, it's not that he can't destroy the Daleks, it's whether he will. So it's never a question of how competent or ingenious the Doctor is in thwarting the Daleks' plans, it's whether he'll do what's necessary. And for me, considering we've seen a really devastating Dalek in Dalek, I found it really interesting to deal with a resurgent Dalek empire that's kind of on its last legs. Yeah. That's kind of a bit desperate, a bit less smooth and efficient, and also a bit more mad. Uh, Going back to what I was saying about the American election, it's almost like these Daleks are the MAGA white supremacists to the Nazis. Mm. Mm. Like, these these guys are a bit more desperate and they're just a bit more stupid. And and you see that with, with him 
talking about the fact that these Daleks are mad, the fact that these Daleks have religion and Daleks aren't meant to, the fact that this is a warped version of what Davros created. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting that I, you're right, you're totally right in the fact that these Daleks are more interesting by their flaws. They they are they are the flaws of each Dalek make them much. It's what the doctor says makes them more deadly than ever. It doesn't make them on a global scale more deadly, but it makes them more perverse in their course of their own divine justice, in a way. I think you're right about the Daleks being more interesting in their flaws. I mean, that's why. For me, my favorite Dalek story is Daleks in Manhattan. Interesting. Now that is not a Dalek story that I like, so that would be I would, interesting. I think I'd have to agree. I think I'd have to agree with it being my 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 favorite Dalek episode. I think the, the I, I adore it. Adore it as a piece of storytelling. Mm, me too. Absolutely. That's so interesting. I can't wait to do the episode with you, Will. Yes. Well, well, bring back Tom for Tom for that one, if if there's well, because because we'll see. It sounds like we'll see. <laughs> Three years time. It's it's see way well, too long. See to how quit. well this goes, won't we? Exactly. See how well this goes. Exactly. <laughs> if we can schedule you yeah, in. Yes. <laughs> um. Um. I what I I think at this time, I suppose it's um a good time to talk about the Dalek Emperor. Mm-hmm. Um. Two. I suppose twofold. Dalek Emperor and also the the plot of the Daleks. The plot of the game station. And of Satellite 5. Why are all these people disappearing? Why why are all these humans done? It gets answered in the first five minutes of the episode. Which, at first thought, again, you're like, why? Okay, this is, isn't this a bit quick too soon? But again, it's efficient storytelling. We're not too interested in why the Daleks are doing this. We get, we get the Dalek Emperor's speech telling us that. We're interested in how, A, the Doctor's going to stop it. And the human co- causes and the similarities... Um, implicit and explicit to the time war in that and by giving us all of these this information by not leaving it as a mystery until the end of the episode it means that we can refocus onto the the remaining 35 40 minutes of the of the, of the next episode and tell a more interesting story um, and for me the Dalek Emperor is the best villain of season one not I because and I count the, the original Dalek in that first episode is not necessarily a villain. Uh, we talked about this at the time, Charlie. It's more the Dalek's kind of like a, the anti-hero in a weird way of that story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we 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 agreed that Ben Staten was the villain. Exactly. Yes. Um. But yeah, this is the most scary villain of of season one, Doctor Who. The 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 voice. I listened to Nicholas Briggs do the voice. And it's so interesting. Every other Dalek voice he does in the Dalek tone, and then that gets modulated. The Dalek Ember he did in his own in a maniacal own voice, which then got much more heavily modulated afterwards. And that's a really nice nuance: is that that this Dalek, the the Dalek Emperor, feels much more lived in and real, much less robotic. And there's the the simple touch of the design of it with the 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 exposed Dalek um, uh, organism uh, being able to be seen and in a water tank. In a water tank with that terrifying like eye of Sauron eye, like it's like it's like pink and gold. It's terrifying, um, and you can it you it feels like it's emoting, even though it's really not. It does feel like it's emoting, um, and that's a triumph. I re- I love the Dalek Emperor as a villain. He's a great, great sci-fi villain, isn't he? You know, the voice is chilling and feels lived in and you can hear the evil sort of deep within it. It's a fantastic voice because also you you can feel what you can hear just in the voice. You can hear the difference between the Emperor Dalek 
and the the soldier Daleks, as it were. The the difference between them, you know, is very very clear. Just to go back to something Will said about all the questions being answered. I think the one that isn't is why is the Dalek Emperor been putting bad wolf all over time and space? And it's not until quite late in the episode that we realise he actually had nothing to do with that. It's not some master plan. He's not fully in control. Mm. He's acting like some sort of omniscient god. But there's this big mystery that the Doctor's concerning himself with the Dalek Emperor doesn't know anything about. And I think that's a really brilliant bit of storytelling because it foreshadows the fact that the Dalek Emperor, you know, his last words are, I will not die, but then of course he does. And the Dalek Emperor is such an interesting villain to me because of its delusions of being a god in spite of what we the audience know to be very real limitations yeah and i i think that the the as well as him having limitations he does speak like he's mad and you can kind of see you can see the madness in his you you can see and feel and hear the madness in his tone but also the way he speaks it gives a sense of both this this character is completely in control no sorry that's not what i meant to say it gives a sense of this character being not in control that makes him dangerous but not in control that makes him vulnerable and i like that i like having that as a having that as a villain well he 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 believes he is in control doesn't he it's made Mm. very clear to us through his dialogue that he believes he is truly omniscient and is in control of everything but as charlie says having this this little unsolved mystery still bubbling along it means that obviously it's hard to remember watching it for the first time but it means that if you're paying attention it shouldn't come as a surprise when at the end you know the Dalek Emperor is is much weaker and much well you know he's literally tiny as as the bad wolf says to him you are tiny and uh, I, I agree with Charlie I think it's a really really nice bit of storytelling to to answer almost every question that we had about the episode immensely early and then just leave this one thread running underneath, just exposing uh, the folly of the Emperor, who, as you say, I mean, this is our first series finale. He's our biggest villain we've had yet. And, you know, it could be easy for the audience to not know how fallible a character like this was going to be. And leaving that thread of uncertainty, that thread of, a chain of events happening outside of his control. Uh, I just got to agree with Charles. I think it's just think it's great storytelling, and it just makes for a really, really satisfying twist. I think I've always loved the Bad Wolf twist. Always, always loved it. One of my favourite twists in Doctor Who, when the Bad Wolf says, "I scatter myself. I create myself." Genius. I just think it's genius, genius, sort of rug from under you plot twist storytelling. But what's so great about Rose as the Bad Wolf? is that the Dalek Emperor can only recreate himself and the world in his image by harming others, by harming the contestants or other humans, whereas she does it through the dust, reaching into the dust. And you see see this real difference, and I find that a really fascinating contrast. And more to the point, Bad Wolf does what she does, not to harm others, but to save others. So they do... A really similar thing but in the total opposite way i think i'm I've, i'm gonna do some english literature um 
I'm looking into the text. Um, I'm going to do some Roland Barthes criticism where we don't take any, any anything else. We just look at the text. There's a line that's um, said by the Dalek Emperor. And I thought, I just, I, as you were talking about this, um, these, these, it's almost like a Mr. X in a way, giving all the information so that you think the audience thinks that they've got everything, but then forgetting that like the last episode was called Bad Wolf and that hasn't been still, it's a very clever thing to do. But um, what you were saying, Charlie, about um, the Rose, um, what you and Tom were saying about Rose going from um, the Dalek Emperor taking away life to create life and Rose, Rose's intention being about saving lives. Um, the Dalek Emperor says he reached into the dirt and made new life. And as opposed to dust, the difference between dust and dirt, I think it's, it's like... They're kind of, that's kind of essentially what both of them are doing in two ways. The, the two gods going up against each other. Rose reaches into the dust and creates new life in Jack, which then goes on to save and save and save. And the Dark Emperor reaches into the dirt and makes new life, which destroys most of the world and just melts entire continents. Um, and I think the difference between dirt and dust I think just show that difference like it's like dirt is dirt is about like the grimness the 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 guttural like you look they're kind of the same thing dirt and dust but it's just that that mindset of of how you're perceiving the two different things um so I just I just saw that as an interesting little illusion I always took that to mean will I always took the the line you know I reached into the dirt and uh, and created life I always took that to be him him talking about the the stain the ugliness of humanity that he's had to use in his yeah. dialect he 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 has viewing created... humans as dirt absolutely absolutely whereas whereas dust 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 like you say much more neutral um much more sort of just life is as it is everything must turn to ash dust ashes to ashes dust to dust etc assuming a sort sort of classical view on death Whereas it seems to be the more sort of uh, scientists playing with nature, eugenics, sort of themes, eugenics, exactly, exactly, of reaching into the dirt, taking something uh, seemingly, in their opinion, ugly, nasty, you know, filthy, literally the filthy, the filthy stain of humanity inside a Dalek, and he has elevated it, you know, in in a similar way that we have the same argument with John Lumix Cybermen you know, of, of being upgraded. I've always took that to be the same idea that, that runs throughout lots of Doctor Who villains, sort of being introduced for the first time here, this idea of maniacal villains taking what they believe to be uh, the weaknesses and the flaws and the dirtiness of humanity and making mm. it better. Okay, can we talk about the Doctor sending Rose home? Um, in terms of the moment itself, I love how it's, I love how it's set up. I love that... I loved it that um, she she asked a question about crossing her own timeline. The doctor says that can't be done, and then he says there's nothing we could do. We could just leave. I love that that is the that is the starting scene for when he eventually does it. Um, and I also like the 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 switch between um, the Christopher Eccleston running out of the TARDIS after basically acting like meta acting it um to rose pretending that her suggestion is going is going to work and not just, just it's, it's not it's not just acting it's it's lying he's lying playing, playing the doctor 
That's so interesting that what you just said, Tom. Play, he's playing the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and it's it's quite you know it's it, it's pretty dark. You know, uh, we we talked in the previous episode, which although we recorded a long time ago, lots of people might be listening listening on, and uh, I talked a little bit about sort of the darkness of 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 the Ninth Doctor, and particularly his approach to his partners and women, bordering sometimes on the psychopathic occasionally sociopathic i should say and uh and i think we i think we see that in that scene where i mean it's so convincing that obviously even though i've seen the episode several times chris ferguson is so good at it that i still sometimes forget i go oh that's what he's doing when he goes oh you're a genius you know he does he plays his doctor thing to rose who he knows loves it he kind of switches it on the the doctor magic kisses her on the forehead we're pretty sure at this point that he he knows that what's going on with her Every time I watch it, even though I know what's going to happen, I'm still hoping that it's not. Yeah, yeah. I think there are very few occasions, I mean, name of the ti- name of the title of the show, Doctor Who, there are very few occasions, especially in this first season, where you can, you can, you can, you can accurately humanise and understand what Chris Freckleston's facial journey and silence means, or when he's like, when he breaks the Doctor character. Because a lot of a lot of this first season, especially, is um, the Doctor going into the Doctor character and being fantastic and jubilant and showing the universe and etc. Putting on a face, putting on a face, um, and then the facade breaks and it's the pain of the Time War. Um, but as a as an audience, you don't know what's all gone into that. That's part of the mystery and also the genius of the Time War is that you don't understand all of the emotions that the doctor feels behind it but you ju- but you do see the pain in this in this specific example of a, of seeing behind the facade you can understand all the emotions on Chris Freckleson's face which makes it even more horrible to see you can see the loss you can see the sadness there's a moment at the end of the scene where he's just sending it back and he just like the corner of his corners of his mouth twitch into a smile of like, at least I, and to me, I always think of that. It's always been so vividly, at least I saved one person today. That's what I, that's, that's always what I think about that moment is that at least he saved Rose. Everyone else is going to die. This is going to be a bloodbath and I'm going to have to commit another genocide. But at least I saved Rose. It's interesting that you, that you say that, Will, that he, he takes that as, uh, oh, at least I saved somebody. Because my first thoughts watching that moment well perhaps the first thought is this feeling of the doctor playing the doctor and that being quite dark and potentially quite manipulative but my second thought straight away watching it is i thought about linda with a y lovely linda with a y who in the scene previously um has said that she won't go and she wants to stay and the doctor basically at this point makes a decision that rose he loves her he cares about her He's going to do this thing, this trick, almost this playing the doctor and send her away. But lovely Linda with a Y who wants to come traveling with him and they've had this lovely bond in the house. And I think we all like her a lot as a character. Doesn't save her, doesn't put her in the TARDIS. And that that was straight away my first thought, that sort of dichotomy, those those two decisions he makes that there's a person he's going to save and there are people that are going to die. And... Like I say, I, I, I'm i not coming at it as in terms of the Doctor being villainous, but I actually see that moment where he runs out of the TARDIS, shuts the door, 
points the points the screwdriver and sends her off. I got to say, I think Chris Frexton is bordering on villainy in what he's doing with his face. Wow, bordering on tortured, tortured, uh, very very tortured man believing he's doing the right thing, but potentially being right on the lines of evil. That's very interesting. Which the doctor does, which the doctor does tread many times throughout the modern series of being close to that line, and I, I think, I think this is perhaps the closest for me, Chris Rexton gets. I think for me, what stops it going fully into the realm of uber uber utilitarianism is that yes, he's willing to sacrifice his people, but he's also willing to sacrifice himself. Yeah, and it's. A huge amount of difference, and I think you see this in later seasons. There's a difference between a military commander sending out soldiers to die on their behalf, rather than someone like what the Doctor is doing now, who is not only in the line of fire, but to some extent he is the line of fire. The people aren't protecting him; they're giving him time to essentially blow himself up. I think the 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 difference for me between villainy and villainy, and I think. I personally read it as more, um, maybe not bravery, so to speak, but trying to do the right thing, is, um, I think I think I I agree with you, Tom, that um, in a in a normal in a normal situation, I don't think the Doctor would have any, like sending Linda to die and sending Rose Rose to die. I don't think he would have thought about it in the same ways. But I see the hot the hologram. I see the um, the fact that there was a plan for this, the fact that Tyler shuts down. Um, I see this as being kind of Jackie inspired, kind of because of that because of that talk with her she he had um, in World War Three about about is is my daughter going to be safe? I think that's that is the moment where the Doctor realised oh shit I am being reckless. That whole the fold of those first four episodes it's the it's the that moment is the t- is from that moment on the doctor is kinder to Mickey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he is mm-hmm. not as he is not yep. as rude about Holmes Rose's home planet or as like uh, the the people that she round, surrounds herself from. I think it really that moment allows for the doctor to do this out of a place of kindness and not out of a place of selfishness. Um, he's like, well, I'm saving. I'm. Do you get what I mean? I yeah, I I agree. So just just to be clear, I'm not saying I think what he does is villainous. I'm saying, as 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 part of the Ninth Doctor's character arc, I think the the things he does in this scene, the way he tricks Rose into going back home, borders on that line of how much control is it okay to exert on somebody else for their mm. own good. Yeah, you, you know that's that that's that's the that's the line that I think it's on, and it just makes it, 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 the Ninth Doctor is such a wonderful Doctor because you do see him battling to try and figure out who he is and where what uh, dealing with some of his flaws having just in his opinion just pressed the moment in the time war and uh, I, I that's what i feel about that scene i feel like i agree completely that it, it, he's doing it out of love he's doing it because he made a promise just want to give a shout out to one of my favorite favorite moments in that scene and one of my favorite direction i've ever seen when the hologram is facing away from Rose until the very final line when he t- when he turns and looks her straight in the eyes. The hologram that gives me chills every time. Hundred um, percent. You're comparing his choice to send Rose home with his choice to send 
Linda to die. I find it very interesting and not necessarily unjustified that none of us are asking, well, why didn't he try to save Jack? Jack would Jack would never have fallen. Jack would never have fallen for it, would he? If he tried the same trick on Jack, my personal opinion. Tell me what you think. Surely the Doctor knows Jack would never have fallen for it. I just think, in a lot of ways, it comes more down to the fact that Jack isn't an innocent. Jack knows how to fight, and to an extent, he's there for the fight. And also, to an extent, he is necessary to give the Doctor the time he needs, as much as he can feasibly organise some sort of defence of the satellite. And I, th- I always do get the sense with Jack that, especially this season, that it's like he's on borrowed time. We end the, we end the Doctor dances with him about to die um, in Saving the World, and it's like he has his sort of... Um, his, his, he has like an ex- extra five six seven weeks of time before he before he he dies with the doctor and that six seven weeks of time well, this is just headcanon six seven weeks it's just a arbitrary number um it, um makes him better and i think that's that's kind of how i always look at that um i just wanted to say to you tom that like i don't disagree with you on your opinions about the the having hints of villainy not necessarily being a villainous character but i do think i what i think is wonderful is that i started this segment saying that in all of the other christopher eccleston scenes i can't see any deliberate i i, I can't read the the emotion and but like this one i can and then i got i i got three i got a different opinion from you and from charlie so doesn't that just show the genius of christopher eccleston that he can do that so many things for all three of us so many different nuances of saving Linda, why saving, why he's not saving Jack, what he, meant, what, what he meant about Jackie in in World War Three. This is all done through looks. This is not done through dialogue because most of the Doctor's dialogue is ex is explanatory and and plot driven and funny. A, a lot of it is just quippy funny, especially in season one. I always forget that when I think about Eccleston. I always think about Eccleston's hard looks. And I never think about I never think about like what he actually says. Um, yeah, but yeah, I agree. That is that is how good Christopher Eccleston is. It's a testament to how genuinely, genuinely good that man is. If I could just come back to a point that you made about Jack looking like he only has five to six weeks left to live, I'm immediately struck by the memory of the end of The Doctor Dances, where we see Jack that is not particularly perplexed about the prospect of dying. He's in a lot of ways quite relaxed and at ease with the idea of his own mortality. And it's in a way that's actually quite similar to the Doctor. And he has this line just before he gets shot by the Daleks where they say exterminating, he says, yeah, I kind of figured that, which you could imagine if not this Doctor, but some iteration of the Doctor saying it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doesn't feel like he's stressed about the prospect of dying. And it's more than you would kind of, you know, expect on the face of it. There's a sense that they can both understand the bigger picture. And it's not that Rose can't. I fully believe that Rose can. I think this episode shows us that Rose does have that capability. But I think there is sort of this understanding that Rose shouldn't have to. That's not her job. Because, to an extent, the Doctor still sees her as some sort of innocent. And isn't it interesting that the... That 
we now we've seen Jack in very close to death twice. One time he actually dies. The other time he's literally seconds away from dying and before being saved. Both times he's peaceful and calm um, about dying, and he is the character that ends up being immortal. And that's a very interesting choice. Is the character that is proven twice that he's okay with dying is the character that gets brought back as immortal. Um, yeah, you're right. I'd, I've never thought of that before, but obviously watching, going back and obviously I've, I'm a huge, huge Torchwood fan and I was a big, big Torchwood fan at the time. And so I've, I've literally watched uh, uh, John Barrowman do do dying when surely he's had more death scenes than almost anybody. Surely he's got more death scenes than Sean Bean, right? And I've seen him do it so many times. Uh, uh, which is quite a quite a quite a statement yeah if anyone ever talks about sean bean say no no it's john barrowman it's john barrowman um uh, (laughs) that's my hot take for the day um but but i i hadn't thought about the fact that actually because i've watched so much of that when i go back and re-watch jack's actual death his first death his only meaningful death really i hadn't really thought about the fact that He's already doing that. The thing that he does when he's immortal before his death, the quips, the little lines that, oh, here we go again. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, of course, he, he's already doing that in front of the Dalek when he doesn't know he's immortal. He's, he's basically doing the same thing. And that actually is quite remarkable and shows that, yeah, he, he must truly have had a really, really quite relaxed approach to death and dying. I think it's also really interesting that she only chooses to save Jack and not everyone else on the satellite i'd always kind of assumed watching it when i was younger that she did go around saving everyone but looking at it now even though it's not explicitly said i do feel much more that she is only doing this for jack well i think that in the nature of bootstrap paradoxes it's almost like rose had to create jack for jack to exist in time do you know what i mean like that had to happen and if she can see the whole of time, which she can because she's part of the TARDIS, she knows that she has to create... Um, I love that we're calling Bad Wolf she, um, because we don't know what the entity is, but um, for the purposes of the fact that it's through Rose, I'm going to call the entity she. Um, that she is... Um, th- she she's, has to create Jack in order for the, for the timeline to go on. That's a that's a lukewarm explanation of, of right now. Like it's that's backdated. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't know that Jack's immortal at this point. It's a fascinating question because, and I've never, I've also never thought of this. Is do you think the bad wolf is not just bringing Jack back to life? It is the bad wolf creating the immortal Jack Harkness? Does she know that? And similarly, the Doctor needs to see the face of Bo so he can warn him about the Master. Oh, she has to create the face of Bo. In that case... And Bad Wolf lives outside of time. That's so true. I never thought about that. She can't not, because she's... But to do that would break the timeline, because she's met Jack previously. Just to slightly play devil's advocate here, it has still not been 100% confirmed, and I believe the Whovians are split on this, that Jack definitely ends up as the face of Bo. It was confirmed in a uh well rusty davis confirmed it in a in a short for twitter but you for, for uh, on those um those um uh oh my gosh it's been so long since first lockdown i can't remember the name of them um the lockdown viewings of doctor who um one of his one of his short one of his shorts um about novice haim um after rewatching new earth it is confirmed in that short however 
is it like the point still stands it can still be it can still be heavily debated that it's it's not jack i mean i mean i mean i suppose the point i'm making is that the the big reveal where he's like oh i was when he's talking about being a young mother the face of Bo they called me and then he runs away i feel like i personally i've always taken that as to be he could be the face of he could be the face of Bo, or we could not be the face of Bo. The face of Bo could be a name that's been passed down in time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But anyway, I'm tangent. Shall we? Shall we go into the um the defense? I think that might might be quite a good the defense of the game station. I think that might be quite a nice because then we can talk about Elaine the Pain. Um, we can talk about <laughs> I'm going to call her Elaine the Pain. Um, always. Can Can I just say all all of Elaine the Pain's like um problems of with working with Jasmine Littlewood. And Tracy Beaker paid off because she's the only one Justine. to intro- Just Jasmine oh, not- Littlewood. Yep, Jasmine Jasmine Littlewood is um, made up. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you got You got You got a fully signed up Tracy Beaker fan here. If there, <laughs> if there is any Tracy, Tracy Beaker podcast out there, I am available. <laughs> Um, Justine Littlewood and Tracy Beaker Elaine the Pain must have dealt with them with a strict she's the only one that um, injures a Dalek in the whole thing even Jack doesn't hit hit them one once she gets an eye stalk shot in doesn't she exactly it must have been all that mm. all of that training chasing Tracy Beaker I'm honestly <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm assured I'm assured it's made it's made her resilient I think we might just be <laughs> venturing into headcanon ter- territory here Maybe just a slight bit. Um, in terms of the Anne moment, um, which has sort of started this conversation on up, um, I my favourite part of the that moment is the when the when Anne is destroyed, the the top of Anne Robinson's hair as the android going on the floor and then doing that thing where like a plate drops and it like it like spirals on its axis for a bit. Um, and and then the, like the slow goodbye at the end of it. Goodbye. It's great. It's a it's a it's a really it's the only moment of levity in what is a very dark two part. Like I also about, just noticed um, on this watch that that moment is the the bit. I, I don't know if it's intentional or not. The chain but someone has pointed out open the TARDIS breaks when you get right Anne Robinson. The, the chain saying, that Rose um, was trying to use to open you are the, the TARDIS link. breaks. I, I, I don't. Uh, and then after a chain breaks, uh, Van Robinson, you are the weakest link. You know, really cute, and I really enjoyed Boom. it. Head blown. I don't know. I just friend. I like that. That's Head a nice blown. bit of. Wow. I don't know if it's intentional, but I think it's cute. If we just start talking about what our favorite moments in the episode were, and I and I think it's okay that we've not started talking about Rose going home because I feel like we will mention that. Being among our favourite moments. Yep. Okay. Uh, do you want me to start? Yeah. Great. In for a penny, in for a pound. Um, my favourite moment is um, the 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 selection of scenes, most of them action scenes between Rose getting the energy of Bad Wolf and the Tardis jaws shutting to Captain Jack's death. Those scenes are so well cut together. The soundtrack is booming. It's like roaring at this point. The tension's building up. The energy's going to Rose's eyes. The Doctor's trying to finish the 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 Delta Wave. And Jack is facing off against the last three Daleks in, in all of that space of time. And it just, it really does. There's so many beautiful moments in this in this thing where, the, where it's really still. But I think just like... Th- what they did as a finale 
in creating that level of tension in those three scenes where you're following our three main characters through their own journeys basically without hope rose we think is rose is fucked we don't know exactly how she's fucked but she's fucked we can just see it that she's both the savior and also this is not good um she's tripping balls exactly she's tripping balls much like some of her earlier work in the season um not in terms of bad acting i just mean that rose has been high this whole season um um captain jack about to die and the doctor being confronted by the dalek emperor um it's just it's just it's it just it got my heart going so much and for that it's my favorite moment what about you tom i think i'm i'm torn between two are you gonna do i are you gonna push me do i have i gotta have i gotta go with one yeah, do whatever you fucking want, mate. I don't give a shit. Um, um. So there are, so like, there are like two two moments that really, really stood out for me. I, I, first of all, I love this episode. It's one of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who. I could talk about all the moments in it forever, but I think there are two that I really want to talk about. Uh, the first one is when Captain Jack goes down below to fight, and he says goodbye to the Doctor and Rose. He looks at Rose. He says, "You're worth fighting for." Kisses her on the lips. Goes to the doctor. Wish I'd never met you, doctor. Kisses him on the lips. I love, love, love the fact that him kissing Christopher Eccleston on the mouth is literally the, the, there's a wrestling term no sell. It's, it's it's literally that there is it is not sold at all as being anything dramatic, as being a moment, as actually having any importance. It's just oh, Captain Jack has just kissed just just kissed him on on the mouth, but. Two grown men kissing on the mouth on the BBC in 2005 didn't happen that often. Of course, it did happen, but it didn't happen that often. And it's completely, completely no soul of being of any drama. It's just what Jack does to Rose, and it's what he does to the Doctor. And I, 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 I adore that because so many um, sort of big dramatic moments of that kind of thing, which are seen as sort of groundbreakers for LGBT representation, etc., 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 things being allowed to be shown. Are, are you know um, telegraphed with dramatic music and and people talk about all the time whereas that's forgotten and because because Russell T Davis writes it as simply a, you know a kiss of friendship which I just absolutely I just absolutely loved because I think in many ways that is kind of one of the most progressive things of all can I quickly um, into to, to just into cut here but um just briefly because i sure, I, compl- I completely please agree do. with everything you're saying it's a beautiful moment and a landmark moment in for L- I, I personally think in lgbtq um, um storytelling telling on on tv is a kiss between two same-sex characters that doesn't have to be sexual yes yes i suppose that's what i'm trying to say it's not sexual or, passion- or not comedic yeah or, yeah or not comedically yeah chris ferguson doesn't pull a face doesn't do anything he completely just stays neutral and takes it he he's more open-minded to it than Rose is. Like you've seen that in previous episodes where he says, "Oh, you know, fifty-first century, they're much more relaxed." Yeah, yeah. I also think, and I don't mean to downplay it because I agree with everything you're saying about why it's important for representational reasons, but because it was obviously the, it was the first um, same-sex kiss I saw on TV. But it's also quite a funny moment, and that sort of one of the things i really like about it well it's also it's 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 comedy to it to accentuate the dark reality isn't it exactly well i was just watching the doctor who confidential um for for this episode which is why i interrupted you and um you said it was a um a rusty davis script thing which it is but also i want to give um john barrowman um 
real credit on this because he talks about in depth in the Doctor Who Confidential the importance of getting that kiss right. Um, he did lo- he did lots and lots of different takes of, of takes to work it out exactly, and he just worked out in the end that I have to do exactly the same level of tenderness, and I cannot change a single thing from kissing Rose to kissing the Doctor. And he, that's he said and that he nails that. And, it, and that's exactly what you see. And that's perfect. Mm. It's the same mm. type of case. It's the same thing. It's great. I also read um, before doing this uh, recording that there is a take where John Barrowman and um, kiss it, where the kiss happens and they get so into it that they just fall on the floor <laughs> because they were just going at it for so long. Oh, that's amazing. And I love that so much because we don't really think of Christopher Eccleston as the sort of actor that, you know, does all these hijinks on set. And I don't know, it's just, you know, it's a nice kind of image in my head. And I kind of wish they'd released it. That's perfect. Right, Tom, tell us your second favourite moment because we kind of chose that one for you by interjecting ten times. I'm glad that one's gone down well. I'm happy with that. It gives me confidence going into my second. A nice little fillip there. Uh, so this, the second moment that I adored, and this is one I remember as a child. This is the moment that stuck with me when I was 10 years old. Uh, and I'll never forget it. Is the the moment when the Doctor is there, about to press the Delta Wave, He's got the Daleks around him. They're saying, if you don't, humans will be harvested. And they say, um, uh, and he says, you're going to have to help me here because my mind has gone blank with the first half of the sentence. But he says, what are you? Uh, Is it conqueror or coward? It's coward or killer, I believe. Is is, is What what are you? Coward or killer? And he has that that moment of fight. And then this hero... The, the the centerpiece of the entire show, the person that we know brings hope and is this is the leader of the show, he goes he goes coward any day. And I remember as a child being so confused by that and in the end inspired by it when I actually asked my parents to help with my dad, I asked him to help explain it to me. But because almost every show that I had watched up to that point films, TV shows that had drama and action, I always enjoyed action, were, you know, the lesson was always, you never give up, you fight till the end, you, you know, last man standing, you know, that whole thing, you know, Rambo, you've been shot 10 times, but you keep getting up and you get shot again. And particularly, I think maybe this is where I can make some link back to the whole notion of it being linked to Trump, etc. Is we, we know Trump, Trump was always, you know, the macho man, uh, uh, the man ready, ready to fight and battle anybody, and I just, I just think it, it, it's one of the things that makes Doctor Who so special that that is what it believes its fans should do in that second situation. Children watching that learn: no, you don't just destroy everything as much as you can. Sometimes, in the best way, sometimes you have to be a coward, and that's okay. And the Doctor does that because of how much, because of how much he loves the world. Or, or at least, or at least non-violent. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And that that sort of message of non-violence and always trying to find conciliation, uh, I actually think is it, perhaps rarer than maybe we realise on on TV and film. 
um, in especially in the world of particularly Hollywood targeted toward particularly targeted targeted to young boys. Yeah, uh, which I believe at the time was the main demographic of the show, not the sole demographic. And I'm sure, obviously, the show has widened its scope in who it's targeting, um, but there is an extent to which this show was trying to create a positive an important role model for young boys and you know young men it matters it matters you know we don't you know i think we take it for granted because it's been a message that doctor who has now been giving us for 15 years but at the time i remember as a child i remember finding it unusual and when i was then learning about it properly i found it very special 100 percent um, when you were talking about Trump, it reminded me in that moment that in his rallies, you've seen these um, these dancing things to YMCA, um, but he once did it to Macho Man, um, and isn't and that I think is exact exactly what you were saying about like the 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 difference between everyone everyone on the on the on the face call now is doing the Trump, which is great. Um, talking specifically about Donald Trump. Dancing unironically. Yeah, the Trump, the Trump dance move. Yeah, very, very clearly, we are not doing the Trump. <laughs> not in our lives, not ever. Um, but that's that sort of macho man. It, I think it shows the true difference between uh, t- between masculinities, between what the the village people were saying by that song, which is all about tongue and cheek, and about the idea of what a macho man is as a joke, and as a, as a and Trump taking those lyrics seriously and putting them into his campaign which was originally used as irony i think that's exactly what doctor who's doing it um if it's if take out the word killer coward and winner he's not he's not winning he's choosing to lose lose for the for the the good of keeping his own soul and not breaking breaking the morality of the earth in in that process one of the beautiful things about doctor who um is that i think i now think that it's helped to win this election um, because no, 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 no. This is a serious. I'm being serious right now. Um, is it going to be uh, Stacey um, Abrams? It is going to be Stacey Abrams because yeah, yeah, yeah. Georgia, Georgia is. It, I don't know if it it flipped to Biden, but it was very close. I don't know. Did it? it the recount. Been one. There, it's currently in a recount, I believe. Okay. Um. So Stacey Abrams. Um. On the David Tennant does a podcast. Um. Talks about the fact that before she was writing. Um, her her speech. Um, was it addressing the? Was it address? There was the post. It was the concession speech after Trump had won. Is that right? I believe no the speech from the no. Democratic Party. After no, Trump. it was she was chosen to give the Democratic response to the State of the Union address. Got it. Yeah, and to prepare herself to watch that, she watched old episodes, old episodes of David Tennant's Doctor Who. Because it's oh my god exactly, mm-hmm. and because she and she talks about with David Tennant that she finds so much humanity in life in those episodes and those being political that they upheld her sense of her belief in a moral system in a, a, in a universe being a good universe and about paving it forward. Amazing woman, amazing interview. But um, I mean, if it, it so, I mean this this podcast probably doesn't need promoting because it's David Tennant kind of does the promotion for for itself. But I just want to say David Tennant does a podcast. Season two has been fantastic, fantastic, transcendent. My favorite piece of listening in all of lockdown has been this that podcast in series two. 
And season one, season one is good because it's fun. It's got all the people you expect, like Olivia Colman, Catherine Tate, um, uh, Martin Sheen, after they've just done um, Good Omens. Like, all the people that you'd expect David Tennant to You mean Michael at. Sheen? Michael Sheen. I do mean Michael... I did say Michael Sheen. Yes, Michael Sheen. Not this isn't the first time you've made this mistake. I've done it, I think, three or four episodes of the Doctor Who podcast. I've I've talked about Michael Sheen. I think you might have done it. Um, but yeah, um, and the season two, George Takai's episode is, a, I think, a landmark in podcasting. I think it's one of the most interesting interviews I've ever listened to. I don't, I don't remember any. listening any, any interviews that I've ever listened to. Mm. Um, one, one of the best just pieces of media I've ever consumed in terms of how it's opened yeah. my eyes and uh, helped me understand so much, so many things so much better. What a podcast. God, that was a long tangent. Um, right. So Charlie, what was your favorite moment? Well, Will, my favorite moment. No, <laughs> it's going back to this um, theme, which we've been talking about a lot. And it's about sacrifice. And for me, I mean, one of my favorite moments is the, kiss scene between Jack and the Doctor and Rose. Um, but Tom took that, so I'm not going to say that. For me, it's when Jackie turns up with the truck. Oh! Yes, 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 yes. I For me, that is one of the most meaningful sacrifices in the episode, because both her and Mickey, both Jackie and Mickey, I should say, are making a sacrifice in their own life. They're sacrificing a person who they love unconditionally, someone who they miss unconditionally, and making the choice to send them into danger, not only for the greater good of the world in the future, but out of love for this very brave person. And it's such a statement about how love for brave people makes you brave you express your love for good people through acts of goodness and selfless people through acts of selflessness and brave people with being brave is it is braveness the word bravery bravery that's it sorry my mind is just half working too many too many nights in a row watching watching cnn am i right charlie too many late night cnn sessions i know i know the feeling My mind is basically is is a compl- is yeah. at this point. Honestly, I've been, I've stayed up so late. But it's even though they're making a very hard decision, and in a lot of ways, they would be a version of happier to have a half contented Rose living with them they realise that, A, for the greater good, but more importantly, for Rose, they have to put her needs first. They need to sacrifice a level of control and a level of intimacy for Rose to become who she needs to be. And that's totally manifested in her becoming Bad Wolf and becoming this very powerful thing and I think it's very telling that it's only with the selfless love of Mickey and her mother that she can become Bad Wolf and it's significant that Rose gets sent back 
when the TARDIS reappears, it reappears on the street where her father dies. It's the same street. It's almost like, you know that kind of narrative thing of you having to go back in order to go forward? It's almost like she's going to the mm. defining moment of her childhood, which is her father's death, which means that she grew up very close to her mother and her mother being very protective. It's almost like returning to her origin story. She is literally going back in time to the present day, but in sending the TARDIS specifically back to where her father dies, they're also sending her back within her own timeline. And that is, and that story was about the need to let go. And she has to let go of her father. And her father needs to let go of life. So I, I don't believe it's an accident that Jackie and Mickey have to then let go of Rose. Well, especially when Jackie is, Jackie is moved to make this decision to bring the truck because of what Rose has just told her about um, going back and meeting Pete. Yeah. And saying, oh, your, da- your dad would have had, your dad was full of crazy ideas. And I'm sure this is exactly what want- he would have wanted to do. That's sort of like, even though he's dead, still co-parenting, still parenting as husband and wife is especially even more loving. It's, it, but that also goes back to Jackie still loves Pete for all like the problems in their marriage. It is still the love of brave people that makes yeah. you brave. And just to clarify, not in terms of like saying that as a single parent, Jackie didn't have enough love so that she has to have Pete's, etc. That's not what I meant. No, 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 no. I just not me- at all. I meant that she's she's not just thinking about her own self. She's thinking about how her father would have parented um, Rose as well. And that it, it does feel like out of a sense of like shared love between them, between all of them, that this decision gets made. It feels like he's speaking from beyond the grave. Yeah, between Mickey, Jackie, Rose, and Pete. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was. I I couldn't I I couldn't agree more. Um, I think we should wrap up there. We will come back to this because we're going to do a recap of season one, with a specific focus on Christopher Eccleston in our next episode before we go on to the Christmas invasion. Um. So, and I can't wait to talk about the finer points of him, his tenure in this amazing season and this amazing role but um why don't we rate this episode let's do it let's rate it um let's do it for me let's do it tonight tonight (laughs) oh what a what a sketch for anyone that wants to have a have a laugh and doesn't know that reference um um type in on youtube the ballad of russell and julie um, and you'll have a great time. We're going to share it on our Instagram, by the way. Yeah, let's share on our Instagram. You know what? Let's do it. Um, it's four seasons too late. What is the name of the Instagram feed and the Twitter feed, boys? Doctor Who Cast. We, we'll do that at the end. We'll do that at the end. I know. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll do yeah, that yeah, now yeah, as well. Yeah. Doctor Who Cast. Uh, <laughs> you can no... never do it too many times. Rule of three. I will say it, say it three times before the end of the episode. Um, I'm going to stupid. This... It's too stupid a name to be taken. <laughs> um... <laughs> So I am going to rate this episode a 9 out of 9. I absolutely love this finale. I think it's amazing. I think it's incredibly emotional. I love the stakes. I love that Doctor Who is like, you know what? I know that this is not contemporary Earth, so but let's just kill everyone. I love that. I love that Doctor Who as a kid show has the balls 
or um, not balls necessarily. Um, whatever, whatever private parts you feel comfortable with. Um, the gumption. I always gumption. like using gumption <laughs> instead of balls. I love that Doctor Who has got the gumption to really, really have have so much death and make an episode so life affirming. <laughs> it's, it's a real <laughs> challenge to do, and they did it yeah. really well. Um, and I think the performances are amazing. I think that it's been a delight seeing Rose. Um, I just want to mention that I didn't I didn't mention in my favorite moments the scene with Rose eating chips. Uh, it is one of my favorite scenes of television of all time. I love it. I love her kicking the table. I think it's camp as fuck. Um, I love her intonation. Um, I I just I just love both all of the all, every everything that makes Doctor Who great is on display in this episode. It's got a, a kind of campy premise, an old fashioned monster, a twisted sci-fi concept, um, and some and real humanity between the two lead characters. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will also give it a nine for reasons which, if you've listened to this episode, should be obvious. Pretty obvious, including the fact that we had no worst moments. Yeah, <laughs> we're cutting the bit out where I say we're doing that for my mental health, <laughs> <laughs> but we're keeping this moment. But we're keeping that bit in. Yeah, we're keeping this part in. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's staying. <laughs> oh, Tom, what do you think? Um, it's got to be a nine for me as well. I mean, I just think as a as a season-ending episode, I don't think it could really be any more perfect. Even if there will be if there will be any areas, uh, like we talked maybe about the idea that that the rescue happens very quickly, but I actually think in this episode, unlike in the previous episode, in this episode, every decision that's made to speed up the plot or speed up the exposition, it only serves to allow us to get to the phenomenal, phenomenal climax quicker and uh i love everything about this episode it was one of the episodes that made me know i was going to be a doctor who fan for life was the experience i had watching this episode and it gives me so much joy to give it a nine out of nine 100 percent. i think exactly what you were saying about the faults of this episode being the joys of this episode two things that shouldn't work is the doctor turning to rose saying have a fantastic life in terms of like logical <laughs> sense makes no sense no sense. But it just makes everything so much better. It's but it makes so everything better. And then the same with the truck. Yeah, the yeah. same with the well, truck. Makes no logical that hologram sense that that truck is, could open. If that hologram is fully sentient, that hologram's a dick. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like just doing it for dramatic effects. Exactly. Oh dear. Well, nine out of nine. That's our so in in total. If if listeners were wanting to follow along with our rate rate rankings, um, it's quite difficult. There's there's medians and means involved because there's some often three of us, um, but it's, and we're going um, to be. It's going to be complicated once we start rating them out of ten. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Crazy complicated. Um, but but we mm. do get um both Boomtown and um. Both Boomtown and Party of the Ways are our only episodes with perfect scores. So I think that tells you that tells you what that tells you everything of this season. That's our favourite two episodes, and we will discuss more next time. I'd also like to say this is such a. I'm really glad we finished doing season one today. Yes. Um, because I'm. It was just a very nice weekend and a very life affirming weekend for I imagine all three of us, mm-hmm. and I just. And, you know, uh, thanks, Tom, for coming back. But more importantly, thank you, Will, for doing this project with me because I've had 
such an amazing time going back over Doctor Who, which means so much to both of us. And this has been a really exciting and fun and really interesting thing to do. And I genuinely couldn't have thought of someone I would rather do it with well, thank who you, isn't Derek. famous. Who isn't famous, exactly, yeah. Crucial last part of that. Um, yeah. If David Tennant t- rings you up tomorrow and, and says, do you want to do a Doctor Who podcast, I'm, I forget about Will. But no Will. But no Will. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel the exact same about you. It's been a wonderful season. Um, exploring Doctor Who in a, in, a, in a take that takes me back. Right, I hope that you feel, felt this as well, Tom, by recording with us for these two episodes. Takes you back to that primal nostalgia that i really do feel about these first couple of seasons especially the first season of watching it being the being the intended the doctor who's for everyone but being the intended audience for doctor who at that at that exact cultural moment is so important to my growth and i think it's important for all three of ours growth and charlie to go through this season with you discovering aspects of not only the show, but my own development, growth, and understanding of the way life, uh, my life is made up, has been very fulfilling. I really, really has. Um, and yeah, thank you so, so much for sticking with us through these thirteen weeks. If you want to follow us um, on Instagram, it's Doctor Who Cast. Uh, that is where most of our content gets released. We also have a Facebook page, uh, Doctor Who Cast, as well, and a Twitter page, which, if you guessed it, is Doctor Who Cast. Um, no one to the name. Who knew? Um, and thank you uh, once again to the wonderful Tom Thornhill, who it's been a pleasure going through these last two episodes of the season with. Oh, boys, it's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you guys are amazing, and I hope you go on to big and successful things. Keep listening, keep doing it. Um, you guys are awesome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks a lot, Tom. It's been yeah, awesome. thanks, mate. Uh, well, then, goodbye, everyone. And thank you for listening. Bye.